Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntris here. You're going to like today's show. You know my obsession with Star Trek Discovery. Well, J.K. Woodward is here to talk me off the ledge when it comes to that show. Uh, J.J., of course, has been doing excellent work for IDW on lots of Star Trek work. And his beautiful, realistic painting style uh, really shines when he gets to do licensed work. Um, He did an amazing Doctor Who Star Trek crossover, has done other ones, uh, just wrapped up uh, the latest uh, Broke Mere Broken, I want to say is the name of the uh, last Next Generation Alternate Universe Mere story that he did. A great story, and uh, it's, you know, these unseen episodes in the hands of artists like J.K., well, we talk about that. We talk about a lot of other things. We talk a little bit about Justice League, but uh, also Star Trek Discovery. This weekend, of course, the show starts up again on Sunday night. And uh, consider this. Well, if you haven't watched the first nine episodes, you may not want to listen. But, um, of course, if you have, it's a great primer for going into uh, the last six episodes. They've got uh, 15 total for the first season of Star Trek Discovery. So it's a fun fan discussion. I hope you enjoy it on today's Word Balloon. It's all brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, for your support via Patreon. Uh, 2017, you guys kept me afloat, and I really appreciate that. 2018, uh, things are moving forward, and uh, I hope to have announcements for you this year uh, that will speak positively about Word Balloon. But uh, subscribing to Word Balloon certainly helps keep the lights on and uh, help me get to conventions and book new guests. And we've got great uh, voices coming up in the days and weeks and months ahead right here on Word Balloon. But uh, if you want to subscribe to Word Balloon, it's free. It'll always be free. But if you want to help out, you can uh, do that by going to patreon.com slash wordballoon or wordballoon.com and click on the Patreon ad. Thank you very much for your support, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. There are some really great trades that are available now at InStock. Uh, for example, you can get uh, Deadpool and Company, the omnibus hardcover uh, with uh, Kev Walker art and James Asmus doing the writing. Uh, there's a great collection here, 50% off. It's $62.50. You can also get things like Black Panther by Reggie Hudlin. Volume 2, The Complete Collection. This is a great run. Uh, Reggie really did a hell of a job when he was writing Black Panther. Scott Eaton among the artists. It's uh, 42% off. It's $23.19. You can also get Generation Gone. Volume 1, Al Shkot and Andre Arahu. Uh, This is a great image book. And uh, you should check it out. The uh, first uh, five issues are right here. 42% off. It's just $10.43. You can get the uh, Silver Age Suicide Squad, the original team. Man, this is uh, Rick Flagg, and his. uh, this is more of an army uh, thing than it was a superhero thing back in the day. I'm sure you already know that. But uh, these are really great stories. I was a big fan of uh, this run of Suicide Squad. You can get it. It is uh, 42% off, $17.39. Or you can get Elsewhere Trade Paperback Volume 1, a new Jay Faber series. Uh, check that out with, um, how do you say his name here? Sunme Kesgin. Man, I'm sorry if I'm murdering your name, sir. But uh, this was terrific. 
And uh, the first volume here is 42% off. It's just $5.79. Just among some of the great stuff you can get this week at InStockTrades.com. If your orders are $50 or more, you'll receive free shipping. Do yourself a favor. Go there and uh, spend some money today on some great books at great prices. InStockTrades.com. All right, without further ado, let's get to my conversation with J.K. Woodward, Star Trek Discovery, and more now on Word Balloon. Always happy to welcome J.K. Woodward back to Word Balloon because, uh, I, first of all, love your art. You know that. And uh, you're a Star Trek guy, so you, you had me at hello. And, uh, in <laughs> fact, this past week, well, I, uh, last Wednesday, not this past Wednesday, I guess, um, the last uh, chapter of your most recent IDW uh, Next Generation Mirror Universe story uh, came out. Oh, yes, the, the final issue. Yeah, man. So, first of all, welcome back. Thanks. Thanks. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been a while, huh? I think uh, last time I talked to you was just before the free comic book day, back before nobody knew what the Mirror Universe was or the, the Mirror Broken was. Yes, and that's yeah. and that's why this is this is nice. So we can you know kind of reflect. Great story. Tipton's uh, knocked it out once again, and um, right, Tipton's wrote it, correct? Yep. Excellent. Yep. I want to make sure. Who else would I work with on Star Trek? Well, that's true. But I know I want you know. I mean, I, I lean on your art, but it's gorgeous, man. And that's the thing, especially in your hands. They really do feel like you know we're looking at those uh, those old photo um, novels of the original series that used to come out when I was a kid in the seventies. <laughs> You've seen those, right? We've talked about those. Oh yeah, yeah. And and John Byrne's kind of continuing the tradition. Yes, New Visions. I love New yep. Visions, and I yep. you know. Um, yeah, he's I, got. I, the, go ahead. He's got technology they didn't have back then too, because he he has his own <laughs> like he had a three D design done of the um, the transporter room, so he could show it at any angle he wanted. And that's and, insane. And, yeah, he does a lot of Photoshop work in there, and it, it just kind of makes it a little extra nice, look a little more seamless. You know, I'm thrilled if that's what he wants to do for the rest of his time. Ed Brubaker and I years ago, he's like, uh, when I retire, all I want to do is write Jughead stories. Yeah. He's like, I'll be very happy if I am just writing Jughead for Archie in my retirement. That'll be great. If this is what John Byrne wants to do, I am so for it. And he's been well, doing the, so many. Yeah, and, and these are the stories he wanted to tell. But he, he said, um, I think he said in an interview before that his weakness is likenesses. So he doesn't feel comfortable doing that. He, that's why he always did like the Romulan stories and, and that stuff. So this is his way of telling the stories he wants to tell without worrying about you know, messing up the likenesses. Which is crazy, because, you know, didn't he do Leonard McCoy, Frontier Doctor? And it, Yeah, and he did a great job on likenesses. Yes, I, yeah, I don't know what he's talking about, but, you know. Hey, it's, you know, I get it. No, I, hey, man, we're all self-conscious about what we put out there. So I, I totally get it. But, no, I do. New Visions is always fun, and they're great ideas for stories, and I, I love it. No, Byrne is clearly a huge Star Trek fan, as we are as well. So, oh, yeah. but, but good job, man. On um, is in forgive me, mirror broken, correct? Yes. Yep. Okay, because I was going to say broken mirror, but yeah, mirror broken. No, it's. I think there was already a broken mirror episode, so we had to go mirror broken. That makes. I believe you're <laughs> correct. I think that was the next generation or uh, Deep Space Nine. I want to say Deep Space Nine. Yep. You know what you think of like you know I got to be honest. I loved Jennifer in the pilot. Um, broken mirror. Is just like, hey, let's rub Jennifer in Mirror Universe Jennifer in Jake Sisko's face, which has to be the most traumatic thing in the world. Of hey, remember your dead mom? Well, here's a version of her. Now you get to watch her die again. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, what is going on, man? I would be shattered like, if I were Jake Sisko. I haven't the Sisko's been through enough? Yes. <laughs> you know, and and it was a little bit of like uh, at first, anyway, some manipulation in there, and it was just heartbreaking to watch it. But yeah, you know, the mirror universe is a rough place. <laughs> <laughs> it's very cruel. Absolutely. Hey, I love I love Kira as the intendant. I love that Worf was the regent. Uh, there's a lot of great things about the mirror universe, but I just thought that episode in particular, I'm like, hey, Ben, not a good parenting move. You're usually like father of the year. He's like the greatest Star yeah. Trek dad ever, except for this one episode where it's like, what the hell are you thinking, man? Yeah, get him out of there. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Oh, yeah. my God. Well, I, I, I want to get back, and I know everyone's like, shut up about Star Trek. We'll get to Star Trek. We'll save it for the end, though. There's been a lot of nerd news, and I haven't had a chance to talk to any creators about it. So, um, I mean, obviously this week, uh, Fox uh, being bought by Disney, and now Disney has even more control over a lot of nerd properties, Planet of the Apes, certainly, The Simpsons, of course, uh, all the pieces of Marvel that uh, Fox was able to get when Marvel was uh, in bankruptcy and stuff. What What do you think of the deal? Um, I'm excited what that might mean for the Marvel Universe in the movies. I'm excited for seeing um, the X-Men, you know, clash with the Avengers. You bet. That's a big part of the, the comics over the years. Um, but still, and, and it's, I always have this in the back of my mind, no matter what Disney does, especially when they bought Marvel and, and when they got Star Wars, what's going to be left for anybody else? They're going to have everything soon. And that kind of scares the hell out of me. <laughs> Well, because there's a lack of competition, I think. I mean, that's the thing. I think everything yeah. everything is healthier. Certainly we know this in, in comic book publishing that um, I think it's more interesting when you've got a couple different businesses across the street from each other and everyone's trying. And not in any – well, who knows in terms of what's happening in the in the corporate rooms. But, you know, yeah, let's – oh, my God, they're beating us. Let's do better. Let's hire better. Yeah. Let's hire better writers and artists. Let's let's be better creatively. And when it's all in one house like this, you know, of course, Warner Brothers is still going to be there with with the DC properties. But yeah, it's a, it's a smaller neighborhood now, and I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Right, right. It, you know, and it, yeah, it it, I, it definitely isn't a good thing. Well, it depends on what Disney does, but they sure. they're going to have less. Um, they're going to be less inspired to take some chances and do some other things because if it's working, it's working. Eventually, when that happens, it goes stale. Mm-hmm. Competition usually gives them the kick in the butt they need to say, well, we got to try something new because, uh, you know, so-and-so is beating us at this. Um, Disney's not going to have that if they got – I mean, if like you said, they got Planet of the Apes. They got Star Wars. I mean, uh, Marvel. Yeah. yeah. What, what – um, they, they, they got Hanna-Barbera. Oh, no, no, Warner Brothers has Hanna-Barbera. Warner, yeah, Warner still has Hanna-Barbera. Okay, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, a quick uh, tangent, because um, I really want to get him on. i got to email him. Uh, Howard Chaikin, you know, I mean, I, I really like, at first I was kind of like, I don't know when you go off ma- model on these Hanna-Barbera concepts, and they don't look like, for what, you know, for people who may not know when we say off model, uh, if they don't look like the 60s and 50s versions of these cartoons... I don't know if it's going to work or not, but I have to say I have been proven wrong. Um, I loved a lot of the DC meets the various Hanna-Barbera char- characters in a way that I didn't expect to. Uh, Bugs Bunny with the Legion of Superheroes was hilarious. Uh, uh, Tom Tom King killed it with Elmer Fudd and Batman. Elmer. But yeah. Chaykin is doing rough and ready 
and I don't know if you've read them. Two issues have come out, two or three. Um, yeah. You haven't read it? No, not yet. No. Well, Bye. it's it's as if Rough and Ready were like Martin and Lewis and broke up and um, were still alive and broke, still broken up today. And a new PR kid who kind of gets social media and the way things work publicity-wise and the entertainment uh, wheel works is trying to revive their career. And they don't like each other, but they're kind of forced to work together and stuff. And it's incredible. I mean, seriously, it is such a great satire on entertainment and you know being part of the entertainment world and all the pitfalls and things that you have to go through. And seriously, it's it's one of the best satires I've I've read in a long time. And it's so it's so great. And for people who liked uh, Black Sad and enjoyed seeing Disney style characters, you know, playing in the noir world and everything, I would so point them to this. Because and shame on me, I don't have you know. I'm gonna get up and get the uh, the artist's uh, name. Hang on one second. I'm gonna sure. go to the issue. Okay, and through the magic of podcasting, we will edit that <laughs> long period of silence, unless you filled it with something. Here we go. Mac Ray, M-A-C-R-E-Y. I don't know if that's a pseudonym or not, but Mac Ray is the artist, and it is beautiful and very, very funny. Howard Chaikin and Mac Ray, Rough and Re- the Rough and Ready show. It's, it's I, ridiculously yeah. good. I want to check that out. I mean, I, um, the name sounds familiar. I wish I could remember Mac Ray. What is it? I know I heard it before. I not, yeah, I've never heard of him before, but he he clearly has that kind of black sad animation style for this. I don't know if that's his regular style or if he's doing it for this book, but it's gorgeous. And um, I don't even remember really seeing. Did you ever see Rough and Ready cartoons? I, I don't. I mean, Huckleberry Hound, Hound Quick Draw McGraw, those classic original run Hanna Barbera cartoons. A lot of them I remember, but I, I and I was aware of Rough and Ready, but I don't remember ever actually yeah. seeing Rough and Ready. No, same here. Same here. When you said it, I was like, I, I know that. Wait, what? did I ever see one? <laughs> Cat and dog, um, for people who don't know, yep. uh, team. But that's the thing, man. No, it's it's really, really cynically funny. See, I love the way they mine actual stories out of these these kind of two-dimensional premises that we grew up watching. Yeah. Um, like, uh, the second I heard about the Flintstones, I was like, I have no interest in that. And then I started hearing back from people what it was, you know, I had assumed um, that it was going to be something like, you know, two-dimensional like the show. And, it, and then it's actual, they actually managed to mine a story out of this uh, <laughs> and create a world that, <laughs> I mean, in some kind of surreal way makes sense, you know. Well, in my worst in my worst nightmares about the, the Flintstone comic book, it was going to be like the John Goodman movies or the, the other yes. live-action movies that have come since. That, I, I'm sorry, I, I just, it's a cute attempt, but it's, it, yeah. it, to me it fails. It really does fail. Um, it's, you know, whatever. And again, that might be old man, get off my lawn kind of syndrome. I'm not really sure. Because I do. I love the Flintstones. I think the Flintstones, there's a reason why that thing lasted for like seven seasons as a cartoon, which is insane, especially in today's world. You're lucky yeah. if you get a couple seasons of a, of a cartoon these days. More than, you know, 52 episodes or 39 episodes or whatever. And uh, Jesus, I mean, it's 
the Flintstones was amazing. But no, this this new Flintstones was great. And like I said, all those uh, did you read any of those team ups, the DC Hanna Barbera stuff? Uh, just the uh, Batman Elmer Fudd one. Sure, I, I had to check that out. Sure. Um, uh, but no, I didn't read much of the Hanna-Barbera stuff in general, other than I, I checked out the Flintstones when it first came out, because I heard stories of Mr. Slate starting wars, and, <laughs> and like it was like a kind of a, a dark and serious take. Yep. I heard about the sex cave, and <laughs> and they, they were just doing some things with it, where like, I can't believe this, yep. but uh, you know, it, my, my time is very limited with, with deadlines and such, so I haven't... Uh, Checked out everything. What else was there? I know the the, the Batman Elmer Fudd. Right. Well, I like I, I mean, out. and I didn't check out everything either. Uh, Martian Manhunter and Marvin the Martian. That was very cute. Um, like I said, the Legion of Superheroes and Bugs Bunny was great because they played it like a DC seventies romance comic, or really, oh, really? any kind of uh, what's his face. Uh, oh god, it's on the tip of my tongue. The 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 jerk that stole all of the great uh, comic book art and turned it into pop art. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Great, like uh, fine art, fine art painter. That Lichtenstein. Should, yes, Lichtenstein. Yeah, okay, Roy Lichtenstein. Roy Lichtenstein. That a boy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. I mean, it has those kind of you know, Chet doesn't love me. Sob, but now it's you know, Timberwolf isn't paying attention to me. Sob. You know, <laughs> it was great. Yeah, all uh, tons of thought balloons. And that sounds all, way all better than what were, I pictured. What's that? It sounds way better than what I pictured because I I, I, <laughs> didn't, I wasn't drawn to it because I was picturing Space Jam for some reason. Sure. No, I'm Bugs totally Bunny in space. That. I was just like, uh, I don't know. No, exactly. That's the thing. You know, um, yeah, like watered down, not not really sh- as sharp as it should be. But no, I got to hand it. I don't know who the editor is, if it's the same editor for all these projects. Um, and a question for Tom King next time he's on Word Balloon. Yeah. Or on um, one of your uh, 25, uh, or I should say Daryl's 25 different uh, podcasts. How many How many podcasts are you <laughs> yeah, on with Daryl? I only got the one. It's just, all right, just huh? go track yourself these days? Yep. Is yeah. It, we, yeah, we don't do we, we do happy hour anymore. We okay. just switch to go. I can only do one at a time. I'm, <laughs> you know, I Daryl, Daryl, every day of the week is, is a podcast night for him. I, I couldn't do that. <laughs> That's hilarious. I understand. Um, and, you know, be honest with you, I have I- other ideas that are less word balloon oriented. I, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, word balloons, bread and butter is still the comic culture. But I, I do like to, you know, deviate and have old comedy people that I'm really fascinated by. Or if there's a great pop culture novel or book, I should say, like uh, Patty Farmer, this woman has been writing this incredible history of the Playboy Enterprise, the entire the entire you know phenomenon that was Playboy, and I'm fascinated by it. And yeah, you know, half half was kind of icky, especially near yeah. the end. Um, but I can't yeah. deny you know you can't deny this guy's impact on on the culture, on pop culture in the in the 20th century. Oh sure. And it's those kinds sure. of people that I'm absolutely fascinated by and what they were able to achieve. So I will separate the man from their you know from the accomplishments and be like. Let's look at this. This is incredible. And I've just been very lucky. I've had a couple PR people that um, have put me in touch with, you know, people that are coming out with books. And I, I've really, you know, so I'm, as far as I'm concerned, it's like, hey, you're on the ride with me. You like Word Balloon. You like the interviews and stuff. Hopefully you'll like this stuff. And I have to say, most of the audience does appreciate it. I've never gotten a negative comment of, hey, can you get back to comic books and enough with your own comedy jollies and stuff so so you're you know so this isn't a separate thing you're bringing you're bringing some of this to word balloon yeah yeah 
Oh, cool. Yeah, cool. you know, because yeah. well, they figure I mean, everybody... It's an interview to... show, right? I mean... What's that? Interview people. Yeah. I said it's an interview show. Interview people. Right, exactly. You know, and, and, and the title, Word Balloon, you know, means, okay, this is a conversation. And it's like, well, then sure. that's what it is. And that's what you're getting on Word Balloon, whether it's comic books or other forms of pop culture. I think, you know, what the hell? Why not? Yeah. There you go. So back to the other uh, uh, nerd news that's been going on. What else has been going on? Now, now we both obviously, unfortunately, as we're releasing this, it's been a couple days since um, Last Jedi has come out. Uh, I know uh, J.K. has not seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet either. Um, I'm sure I'll get to it uh, hopefully before Christmas. It may not be till after Christmas. I'm not sure. Yeah. We might go just go see it on Christmas. <laughs> there you go. And, you know, that's a good idea, actually. Yeah. So... We usually do uh, – we just do Chinatown for Christmas anyways, and then we just go to a movie afterwards. So, <laughs> Well, you know, let's uh, – because uh, I haven't mentioned it much, but uh, Brian Bendis, uh, you know, a little ill right now, and, you know, he's, he's my good buddy. And uh, I texted him actually today and, you know, kind of frustrated still, still on the slow mend, but, uh, you know, trying to keep his spirits up and everything, but uh, that's tough. What did you uh, – you know, if, if I don't know. Have, have you met – do you know Brian? Uh, I don't think personally. I mean, if I if I ever met him, it might have been like you know, oh, this is Brian Bendis, you know, sure. it, you know, those quick introductions at cons and stuff. But no, I don't actually know the man. No worries. Well, you know, get well, yeah. Brian. Obviously, but what do you think yeah, of the? Uh, yeah, what do you think of the? I, I know his work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What do you think of the move uh, to DC? Um, I actually I I'm reading so few from the big two right now that I didn't really have a strong opinion. Okay. I I think it's I I think it's exciting. I can't wait to see what, what comes of it. Sure, um, but I'm I'm not as strongly invested as uh, a lot of the opinions I've been seeing on the internet. <laughs> <You know? laughs> when it was first announced, I said it's I think it's the right time because I do think that he pretty much did everything he wanted to do in Marvel. Um, That's true, and and really culminating in this last Defenders comic, which really has been percolating. I think since he read that annual, where all those uh, street-level Marvel heroes were all together and stuff. I think it was Avengers Annual 9, where Luke Cage is there and everything. But, you know, having, you know, Jessica play with the boys, just like, you know, is happening in in the Netflix series and stuff. No, he's been itching, I think, to tell that story. Um, and, and, you know, again, I mean, you know, creating really interesting characters for Marvel and saying what he wants to say with them, but now getting to play in a new playground. I know he loves Batman. And, you know, obviously, would you know, I'm sure has a million ideas for Batman. Um, but it will be interesting to see what C-level characters he decides he wants to play with. He has talked about Plastic Man on uh, Word Balloon as being one of his wow. favorites. And, yeah, I would love to see him do Plastic Man. <laughs> and do it. He wants to do it in a very uh, noir way because you know as well that Jack Cole created Plastic Man for police comics back in the 40s. And it yep. was a crazy fun comic, but it definitely had the trappings of like a Bowery Boys kind of movie or, a, you know, a, a snappy Bogart movie or something like that as far as, you know, Plastic Man going up against gangsters and stuff. So I think it would be very interesting. And also, I think, given his powers, would give him an opportunity to be kind of stealthy in a noir world. So uh, I, I think that would be interesting if, should he get to it. I don't know if uh, Didio right away is going to let him do that or not, or if that was one of the things he immediately said. But, again, this is all stuff that Brian has talked about in the past on Word Balloon. But he's been, uh, as we've texted, we've not talked. Um, we were supposed to talk literally the weekend that he got sick. 
And he's like, dude, I'm really sorry. I'm down. I've been in the hospital. And he laid out everything, you know, and I'm like, oh, my God, Jesus. Well, fine. Get better. You know, it's like, hey, it's just a stupid podcast. Don't Obviously, don't worry. Get healthy, please. You know, I don't want you to get sick just talking to me or whatever. So, yeah, we're, let, we're letting him rest. But um, I think it's very exciting. And I think, yeah, it'll be very interesting when the announcements happen to see what he will be doing. But uh, I also know that, yeah, this is this is really a, a tough disease to kind of fight and recover from. So I, I do right. think things are going to be delayed for a, a good chunk of time as Brian slowly heals. So there you go. But, uh, well, anyway. Get well, Brian. Yeah, absolutely, man. Get well, Brian. Uh, back to DC, though. Um, you know, uh, Justice League, what did, you, what did you think of Justice League, J.K.? Um. Okay, a blanket statement. I enjoyed it. Okay. I, I left there feeling good about it. I had a, I had a great experience. Um, there are a lot of problems with it, though. And uh, I would say just as much as there were, that I had with Batman versus Superman. Um, and most of that problem for me was I feel like we're not being told part of the story or we're, it's just assumed we're supposed to know something that we don't know. Or I, think, I don't know if things got cut out or if he just feels like that is important. But... Um, I feel like we're we're missing a big piece of it, yep. and he doesn't. And, and they, they just don't care. <laughs> yeah, know? man. Also, I agree. Also, with there that. was inconsistencies. There were a lot of inconsistencies in the characters, and I and, and I think that might be Joss Whedon's contribution because he tends to he tends to give everybody the same voice. You know, like you can't tell one character from the other. Sure. If you read their line of dialogue, and and I saw a couple of <laughs> examples of that where I, I know it was done for comic effect, but it was like that didn't seem consistent. You know. But uh, I'm sorry. What, what were you saying? No, I agree. I agree with everything you're saying, and I think um, I, I imagine that it is someone above Whedon and above Snyder. I mean, the director's cut of Batman v Superman was a lot better than the theatrical cut we got. And, I thought and, so too. Yeah. And, and you know, we'll see if they ever do this with Justice League or not. I'm guessing they will because um, it'll generate more DVD sales. And, right. you know, the fact that this movie underperformed, uh, they're going to probably want to squeeze as many dollars as they can out of it. Although, who knows? Because, as I'm sure most of the audience knows as well, um, it sounds like, with the exceptions of Wonder Woman 2 and the Aquaman movie and wherever Shazam and the Flash movie, which apparently will be Flashpoint, uh, wherever they are in their levels of production and stuff... Sounds like DC's tearing, or I should say Warner Brothers is tearing everything up again and starting anew. Um, you know, we already know that there's going to be a different Batman in that Batman movie that's being planned. Um, yeah. And I don't know what's going to happen with Cavill and, and Man of Steel. I wonder if his inability, or and, and I understand that it was more Paramount and the Mission Impossible people that were kind of like, no, he won't shave his mustache. Too bad. Work around it. Um, God. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, but I and and I don't know. Again, um, I you know I like Henry Cavill as Superman. I think he's a great Superman. I have no problem with him. Yeah, no. he's been underserved yeah. by the three movies that he's been in though, yep. as Superman. Agreed. So yeah, you know, and but I agree with you too in terms of there's got to be somebody upstairs. Well, first of all, they made that edict. It's got to be you know a two hour movie. And mm-hmm. and yeah, I agree with you. I think there's a lot that was missing. I think Cy- Cyborg was underserved. I think we needed yes. a better explanation of his entire makeup, especially with, and I liked it, I liked the idea 
that part of his cybernetics is Kryptonian technology. That's really interesting. And that uh, there's, you know, uh, apocalypse technology uh, in there as well with the mother boxes and that he's tied to that. Very interesting. That ties him in nicely with everything. Yeah, really interesting choices. Absolutely, man. But we really didn't get much of that, and we needed a better explanation of that. Um, Yeah, we could have spent a lot more time on him. Um, But also, like, I I don't know, in general, the movie feels like a, a Frankenstein. It feels like they patched a bunch of things together that didn't quite go together. Uh, Almost like it was like, I don't know, decided by focus groups or something like, oh, this is funny. We like that. And this is dark. and We like that. But, you know, it's square peg round hole. It didn't really fit. No question. It just felt like it was. Yeah. Didn't feel like the same movie all the way through. One thing. No. And you're right. And Frankenstein's a great uh, analogy because literally you could see the stitching. I Mm -hmm. mean, that's the thing. Exactly. So painfully obvious. Uh, in a lot of scenes that this is a Whedon scene, this is a Snyder scene, there might have been a couple that we might have attributed to the wrong filmmaker. But And sometimes that's interesting. I keep going back to um, the Spielberg, uh, Stanley Kubrick, AI. And, and uh, yeah. a, a kind of a failure of a movie, uh, uh, you know, but interesting because you can see the two filmmakers' ideas at work. And, I, and I, that's, that can be interesting to see. When somebody takes over a movie, there's a classic movie, uh, Mr. Roberts, the Henry Fonda, Jack Lemmon movie from the 50s. And it started with uh, the great John Ford and Ford and Henry Fonda had a falling out during the production. And Mervyn Leroy, who is a very capable director, but certainly not John Ford, took over. And you can literally see the big wide sweeping shots of the sea that are definitely John Ford and these very... Uh, claustrophobic kind of set scenes that are pretty much Mervyn Leroy and everything. So it's very, very interesting to see the difference in a, in a movie like that as well. If you're, if you're an old time movie buff, so. Um, but uh, I, go ahead. I think the, the two different visions might have worked with this more if there was just something to tie it together, a scene to kind of tie it together a little more. Sure. Because it almost seems schizophrenic sometimes, you know. And this Batman joking didn't feel right. Yeah. Yeah, it just it, yeah, it just felt awkward, you know. Well, as intense he as could be he the was, straight man. Yeah, as intense, right? Exactly, like he is in the Jam Dematis, McGuire, uh, Keith Giffen, JLA stuff, where Batman's the straight man. See, what I, I don't understand is wh- why don't they look at? Okay, I understand that that um, they have to be to a sense true to the comic book to the source material, uh, but they want to create something for a general audience. Sure. I get that. Why don't they look at what 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 they did with uh, uh, the animated series? Totally, because that worked perfectly. Totally. And it was, you know, and just kind of take your cue from them. The, the Batman versus Superman. If they did, uh, what, what was that episode? Uh, the three parter, World's Finest. Oh God, yes, they made that, that was movie. amazing. Yes, yeah. Oh my God, that, that so would have been great. Yep. Yeah, that instead of Batman versus Superman, it, it would have set up the characters just as just as much, actually better. What? And uh, and. And it would have appealed to general audiences that don't know everything about these characters. But they were in, in such a rush to uh, ke- catch up with Marvel that good storytelling got thrown away. And as you say, too, I, I, it almost felt like, nah, it doesn't matter. I mean, it, well, you know, the, have you heard that same rumor that I did in terms of Affleck with the Batman movie when he was supposedly still going to direct it, where... Um, the studio heads are like, so you're ready to go, right? And we're going to start shooting. And he's like, no, the script isn't ready. And supposedly the studio heads are like, well, that's okay. You guys can fix it on the set. To which 
Affleck said, no, I've won Academy Awards for my movies. <laughs> I, yeah. We do that when a script is ready. We shoot when a script is ready. So fix it. And it's like, yeah, man. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, and again, because... What, what a prima donna. He didn't want to make it up as he went along. What's <laughs> exactly. wrong with him? Well, and we know that Suicide Squad was made that way. Um, Non-Warner Brother movies. We know the the last couple of Bond films were kind of like that. And I have heard that it's not uncommon to fix a story yeah. on set. But if it's to the degree of, no, this story doesn't make sense or we're not ready yet, that's a big problem. And again, it's... And as you said, it's a shame that they didn't go back to the source material for things like the Justice League and and the Batman animated series or the Superman animated series. It's weird. I wonder how much influence Jeff Johns had, because I think we all, as comic book fans, trust Jeff Johns. He gets the DC universe in a way that a lot of others can't. When DCU was floundering, Jeff comes up with the DC Rebirth concept and knocks it out of the park with that amazing first issue of Rebirth. and um, That actually got me reading DC again. There you go, man. <laughs> Did you read uh, Doomsday Clock? I, I have not, no. Okay. That's mainly a time thing. I'm, I'm, I'm down to like maybe three titles. What are your three titles point, right now? But, um, <laughs> I was reading, um, uh, well, first off, Tom and Mitch's uh, Mr. Miracle, sure. which I've been loving. Sure. Um, and then I'm, I'm I, can't, I can't remember the name of it. It's a it's an image miniseries, and I bought it because of the art. And I wish I could remember the artist's name. I was just, okay, man. Well, you know, it's not a test. Uh, if you know what you say. Yeah, but, well, <laughs> but, it, it's going to come to me. Okay. Uh, yeah, later in the conversation, if it pops in your brain. You can stop everything. Go, Wait a minute, I remember. It's this. So I do that too, man. Because people, you know, when, whenever I'm on a podcast, we're like, "So what are you reading right now?" I'm like. I, <laughs> and meanwhile, I spend like thirty bucks a week at you know every Wednesday and stuff at the comic book store. What are you reading right now? I, I, I have uh, no idea. I don't. Know. Well, I see. I used to do that, and I stopped doing that because the pile was getting too big. Sure. The, the nightstand pile. <laughs> well, that's why I don't no, do a pull list because because I don't want to run into that. And yet, still, I have that problem where I go and I'm like, you know, yeah, I want to read that. I'll get to that. I'll, I'll get to that. So Charles Soule's well, Daredevil I, I got is one mixed. of mine uh, that I'm uh, consistently reading, so, and it's fantastic. Um, you know, so like I said, Chaykin and Rough and Ready was such a delight. I mean, I'm like, oh, it's Chaykin. All right. Well, that one I am going to read because you talked me into it, dude. I'm t- I swear <laughs> it's it's so. I mean, that's the thing. You know, Howard's getting shit for uh, Divided States of America, which I think is a misunderstood book, and I think uh, a provocative cover will get a lot of people talking. And then when you ask him, have you read it? Well, no, but I read about it, and and it's like, well, then shame on you. You have no business commenting on it. <laughs> um, and I will talk to Howard about Divided States as well. But that's the thing. I, I just think Howard's just got such a great satirical voice and really does, with perspective, and the fact that Howard is in his 60s and has kind of seen the entertainment machine work both from the inside as he has worked in television during the 90s and early 2000s and just as a viewer as we all are and stuff. Um, Yeah, I just, I like Howard's voice. I think he's a really, really funny satirical writer. And um, God, I loved, and though he was just the artist on it, him in Fraction, that Satellite Sam, that was kind of like a Captain Video behind the scenes of like a 1950s sci-fi show. And it was very... 
sexy in the way that Howard can do sexy, and it was very lurid and really great behind the scenes soap opera kind of stuff. It's it's one of my favorite fraction books of like the last ten years, along with Hawkeye and some of the obvious ones that people will point to. Certainly, Sex Criminals, but Howard was the perfect guy to draw it. And I asked him, I'm like, come on, you're, you you got to help him plot. He's like, nope, it's Matt's book. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, well, you're drawing awesome, man. I'm like, it's, it's a beautiful book. So, yeah, Rough and Ready is, I, I can't recommend it enough. But um, back to, yeah, so back to what's. Oh, wait, oh, go ahead. Underwinter. What's it? Underwinter was the Underwinter. Okay, that's the image book. The, the Ray Fox, yeah. Oh, Ray Fox and who, man? Uh, or is Ray drawing it as well? Huh? I, well, I bought it for Ray Fox because I, I think – yeah, I think he's he's writing it and doing the art. That's excellent. He's painting it. And That's great. Yeah, it's, it's his painted stuff and um, it's it's very visceral. It, it reminds me of like um, Sienkiewicz and Straight Toasters. It sure. has that kind of – you know, it, 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 I was excited about art again, which which doesn't happen that often. I hear you, man. Um, because I'm old and I'm jaded. <laughs> <laughs> you got you to gotta really <laughs> – but uh, yeah, I was really excited about this book. I know it's kind of old. I think I'm, I'm late to the party, but I just I kind of binged it. I understand. It's not but, the, it's yeah. not that old. It's within a year or two. And yeah, when it was getting started, I saw Ray at one of his tables at a convention. And yeah, what a pleasant surprise that this amazing artist or writer is also an, uh, an amazing artist as as well. Well, I I heard he he um, taught himself art so that people would by his work wow. <laughs> as a writer so that people would see his writing. So this, that's, I'm, I'm kind of hoping to go the other direction, you know? Um, oh, you're going to start writing? You know, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, well, I, I do a lot of plotting anyways. Sure. I do a, a lot of contributing to plotting and I just, I, I want to give it a shot. Um, clearly that's, that's going to happen, but it's going to happen when I do, um, my own work, okay. which I'll, I'll probably, uh, actually there's, there's probably going to be something to announce, uh, I'll let you know because it'll probably be in like six months. Okay, man. But uh, if if everything works out, I might you might see my debut as a writer. That a boy. Well, you're, as as I always say, you're always welcome back to promote the product and uh, have these kinds of conversations, man. You know that. So um, well, and uh, so yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what Warner Brothers chooses to do moving forward. Uh, because mm-hmm. yeah, I, I you know again we know Wonder Woman two is is definitely on, and we know that Aquaman is coming out next Christmas, obviously, and I don't think they're backing away from the Shazam and Flashpoint projects, um, you know because and especially Shazam's going to be great. Uh, it'll be a great chance to introduce The Rock as Black Adam, and much like the Mummy movies and the yes. Scorpion King, uh, hopefully that will mean that after Shazam we'll get a Black Adam movie because. Uh, that's such. I mean, honestly, The Rock could play Captain Marvel. He could be Shazam. I mean, he's he's perfect for that kind of role. But my God, he is so perfect uh, for Black. He Adam. just he's so perfect for Black Adam, though. Yes. Oh yeah. I mean, he, you know, he's 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 got the big neck and everything. You know. Oh, abso- no, absolutely. I'm really interested to see. Um, and now I'm blanking. Not Zachary. It is. Uh, no, it's not. It's Zachary Levi. Uh, at, right. Zach, Zachary Levi is going to be Captain Marvel going to be Shazam. And I'm sure they're going to call him Shazam. They're not going to yeah. call him Captain Marvel, unfortunately. Um, but that's really interesting. On the one hand, if you go back to those original um, Wiz comics when, when Captain Marvel was very brand new, he wasn't the big muscle man that Black Adam or Superman are. are. Um, but he was uh, more of a tall, thin Fred McMurray uh, from My Three Sons fame and a lot of Disney movies and other various films from the 40s through the 60s, um, was the original 
um, guy that inspired the look for Captain Marvel. And again, if you go back to that Wiz comic book, the first one that uh, features Captain Marvel, he's a like I said, he's a tall, thin, strong man, not not the big muscle man that Superman or some of these others are. So it'll be interesting to see, and especially it, it's a shame that they aren't moving forward with uh, maybe more Justice League movies. We'll see, but it would be interesting to see Zach Levi as Shazam next to a Cavill as Superman, and you got these yeah. two powerful guys, but definitely different builds and stuff. I don't know. So, were you ever a Shazam fan? Were you ever a big uh, Shazam reader? Uh, not really. I mean, I, I grew up more on Marvel, sure, uh, uh, and then uh, discovered. DC much later. I think it was in the the mid eighties as I was a teenager. Um, the the kind of dark Batman appealed to me after, of course, Frank Miller's run, or his Dark Knight. Yeah. Um, and then like I I think the that led me into, you know, like books like Arkham Asylum, Cult, you know, all those oh, kind yeah. of dark Batman books. Yeah, the prestige uh, format then, Batman books definitely. Yeah. And then I got into uh, I, I got into the rest of the DCU with uh, Cosmic Odyssey. I think that was eighty eight. Oh, that's great! I remember that. Yeah, it opened with the, the the street Batman, but you know he was fighting a parademon, and I was like, wow, totally. you know, because you got so used to the the street level you know brawler guy that you you forgot that yeah he used to go, get into cosmic battles. <laughs> yeah, well, and <laughs> you know, until they, until Denny O'Neill put his foot down as Batman editor, and he's like, Batman doesn't go to space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But he did in this, and it was great. Oh, yeah. I mean, and he, he was someone that uh, this was Batman bringing bringing the threat to the rest of the Justice League. Like, guys, we got a problem here, and uh, that kind of got me back into DC for a good ten years. Am I right, Mignola? The, Did Mignola draw Cosmic Odyssey? Yes, yes. Wow, yeah. And that was my that was my first Mignola experience, yeah, and I just man. fucking couldn't get enough. I, th- I think <laughs> it was likely my first Mignola uh, experience as well. And yeah, it was. He was besides Kirby. He was born to draw Bug. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> His bug <laughs> I would gr- His agree. His parademons are pretty freaky, too. Yep, that's so funny. You're 100% right. Uh, I have I have to confess, I haven't been reading uh, uh, Bug in the Young Animal imprint. It looks really great. Um, but, you know, again, you can't, you know, I, I, I can't spend $50 a week as much as I'd like to. <laughs> you know, I mean, seriously, I mean, it, when it is like... Well, even if I'm you like, could, when are you going to have the time yes, that, to read it yeah, all? Yeah, really, that too. Well, and eventually they'll collect that. So I did read... Yep. Um, Gerard Way and uh, John Rivera and Mike Omings, Cave Carson, and I love. I mean, you know, I love Mike. Mike's Mike's one of my guys, and uh, it, you know, it really was fantastic. Is this Gerard Way um, um, Umbrella yep. Academy? Yep. Okay. Well, because you know he's Wait, what's it called? It, I didn't know. It's about called this. Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye. That's the full title, and uh, <laughs> because I think he read that in uh, a DC. Whatever their equivalent of the Ohatmu, you know, original handbook of the Marvel Universe. Uh, I forget right. what DC, DC's checklist or whatever it's called. And yeah, when he read the when he read the uh, article about Cave Carson, it's like Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye, and it's like, oh, okay. Uh, and he was one of those great Silver Age regular, like uh, Roy Raymond TV detective and uh, Slam Bradley and stuff. Just a you know street level adventurer that didn't have a costume or anything. But certainly in the 50s when uh, DC really was interested in science and bringing science into their Silver Age comics and stuff, Cave Carson was right there. And um, kind of in the same way that, you know, God, um, 
they brought back Animal Man and suddenly made Animal Man much, you know, a much more interesting character in the Vertigo spin that they did with Animal Man. Uh, Cave Carson had that same kind of spin to it, and uh, it was great. It was it was just so much fun, very trippy, uh, very psychedelic in a lot of ways, and uh, you know, a great fit for Mike to to draw and everything. So yeah, just a gorgeous book. Twelve issues are out. They're taking some time off, but there will be a season two. And, uh, yeah, it was just, it was excellent. Can't recommend it enough. So, but Bug is another one of those young, young animal books that, you know, again, I mean, anything with Fourth World, it's like, ooh, what's going on? And, again, of course, we talk about what uh, Mitch and, um, and Tom are doing with uh, Mr. Miracle and everything. Right? It, it's Mitch, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, yep. I wanted to make sure. <clears throat> and can we talk about Mitch's art on that? Hell like yeah. He, every time he starts a new title, he, he takes the opportunity to go kind of up a level. Yep. And I, I've been watching his career since uh, I, I discovered this uh, kind of retro science fiction action book that uh, only you know somebody like me and maybe three other people would be interested in. But it was a very uh, kind of nostalgic Flash Gordon type book, and I think it was called Johnny Recon. And I was like, but the art just blew me away. I'm like, who is this guy? Um, and then you know, it, it turned out that was Mitch's first thing he did for himself, and then he just kind of blew up overnight. And, but I, I followed his work with Activity. I followed his work with uh, Sheriff of Babylon yep. and then Punisher. Yep. And every time he goes on a new title, he, he takes that opportunity. Like, kind of like <clears throat> every time David Bowie records a new album, he decides to go into a new genre. Yep. And, and Mitch kind of does that with his art. He, he, he says, well, now I can try this. And, and when I saw the work on, um, on uh, 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 what is it, Mr. Miracle, uh he he had done it again, and and this time it, it got a little um, uh, a little more expressive, and he did a lot. I know he works digitally, but I, I think he scans a lot of textures in and things. But but it, it looked really kind of it had those scratchy lines I like. It had ink splatter. It had um, you know it just it just had all this texture. It also had the uh, the you know the um, you know mechanical dots. Whatever the sepitone. Yeah yeah. Um, and he, he just like he's using everything that, that shouldn't go together and it works, you know, and, and he, he uses it to effect, too. Like when I first saw his Orion, he had like the pristine helmet, you know, like it just it, it, <laughs> yeah, it was very simple. But the but the face had the you know, had had all the, the texture to it. And it just I, I knew what he was doing there because it just he's taking a character who can't. Uh, you know, his his it's a nature versus nurture. His his uh, his nature can't be hidden by the nurture, which is the helmet. Absolutely, you know, the, man. And he got he can't hide his lineage. And and I or I hope he's doing that. Or I'm you know maybe I'm just talking out. No, my I ass, think but. you're. I think you totally <laughs> nailed it. And that's that's why it's always good to have an artist on to verbalize that kind of observation yeah. because. Well, that's a good example of how much the right artist can add to a story. No question. That right there. You got it, man. No, absolutely. At least, seriously, I always, I always say, I always am more of a layman when I'm talking to you guys, the artists, because like it's it's good. <laughs> it's pretty much you know all I can really get out of me, uh, and it is. Well, that's all. That's all we want from everybody is <laughs> you like it or you don't. That's what we want to hear. <laughs> well, we want to hear you like it. No, I hear you, man. I hear you, and uh, but yeah, no, you're 100 percent right. And and again, yes, that that combination of his environment on New Genesis. But again, he is still the son of Darkseid. You can't take exactly. that away from, hey. from Orion. Absolutely. So that's yeah. no, you nailed it, man. Totally. And it, yeah, I haven't it, read this week's is it uh, five? I haven't read issue five yet. Everyone is raving about it, as they have for the last four issues. So that doesn't surprise me. But uh, 
No, it's it's incredible. Seriously, man, Tom and Mitch are really yeah. just knocking it out of the park with every issue, and I'm really happy. I know I know Tom better, and I remember Tom. Uh, oh God, Tom Fowler introducing me to King uh, at a New York convention and handing me uh, Once a Crowded Sky. And please read this. Please read oh, this. I mean, that was a great, did you read it? Of course it? I that did. Was it was fantastic. And, and I mean, that's oh. the thing. It's like, oh, no, he gets it. All right, he's a good guy. And then, you know, just slowly breaking into DC and then letting him do, you know, stories in that, I think it was called Time Warp, one of the DC sci-fi anthologies, and just right. slowly making his moves. And then finally getting Omega Men and Vision. And, uh, you know, I ha- I'll confess I was late to Omega Men, but certainly Vision had me at hello. And, uh, yeah. God, even when both Marvel and DC were just pursuing him so hotly. And that was really funny. You know, I always said, like, that back in the day after reading his book, uh, The Once Crowded Sky, that if somebody gives him a chance, that's going to be it. He's going to blow up overnight after that. Sure. And that's kind of what happened. Totally. So. I want the record to show I was right. Attaboy. I, I would, you know, again, because of what he's doing with Batman and Mr. Miracle, you know, I, I uh, last year I'm like, oh, he's writer of the year. Well, he's kind of writer of the year again because I don't, I don't yeah. know anyone else who's putting out as much product at that consistent high level. And, I, you know, no offense to the Hickmans and the Bendises and uh, the Ruckas and, and the others that are, that are great and have a larger body of work, but... I, I just there is just a real excitement. I'm I'm really glad that the double shipping of Batman has not burnt Tom out yet, at least from what we're getting on the page. It, it's going to be a long time before that happens. He's way too enthusiastic about. This. I kind of think you're right because I know seeing him at the shows, he's he's like a groom at, or at a, or like a bride and groom at a wedding, where it's like, <laughs> yeah, this is great. I know it's really great to be here, and, and he, but he's also got that kind of. All right, I got to say hi to everybody, and I I can't believe this is happening to me right now. But okay, fine, yeah. this is my night, and that's that's kind of how Thomas looked to me in like the last <laughs> four or five conventions that I've seen him at, and I'm always happy for him. But it's always like, all right, Tom, deep breaths. It's okay, bud. You know, I I I think you're enjoying this. I want you to enjoy this. So, and but also I know there's this. I can't believe this is happening to me. You know, side of him and everything. But yeah, that's that just makes him that much more of a great guy. So. Very very happy for Tom, and he's he's just he's killing it. He's totally killing it. So, all right, dude. Yeah. Now it's time for that inevitable <laughs> Star Trek Discovery conversation that we have been talking about uh, in private messages to each other. Give me a letter grade. Nine episodes in. What do you, what do you, how do, what do you give the show? Oh, I really like it. So a- I'm gonna. Say, if there's room for improvement, I'll say an A minus. A minus. Wow. Okay, man. Part of that is it, it, it's hard to say because we're we're in a mid-season break, but I think I know where they're going on the the when when they come back. Okay, and I, I think my opinion is kind of colored by that because if they do what I think they're going to do, I think it's going to be great. But okay, but uh, yeah, still I say A minus. I've been enjoying every episode. Well, I'll give it a C minus, and uh, I uh, I can't deny my disappointment, uh, and we'll, we can get into it. I like the crew, as at least in terms of. The broad strokes of the crew, um, but I think uh, I can't deny one of the biggest things that pulls the grade down is we got fifty years of Star Trek storytelling, and um, they 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 kind of said this stuff at the at the front in terms of this is a this is a show that very much will adhere to canon, and then they make their story choices, and we hear 
beyond what is laid out for this season that, oh, a lot of things that didn't work with Canada, well, we're going to explain that in the second season. And I can't deny knowing, I, I just, I, I think, as evidenced by IDW. Well, let me, let me, well, go, uh, let me finish real like, fast and say it. I think as okay. evidenced by IDW Comics, a lot of novels and other stories based on established canon, you can tell very entertaining stories and still color within the lines and not have the canon problems that I perceive in Star Trek Discovery. Okay. I I understand what you're saying. I think this show has had less canon problems than most shows and most certainly most movies because movies seem to not care at all about canon. Um, I think what usually happens is you get too many cooks when you're doing any kind of production, whether it's TV or movies, and canon's always the first thing to go if if they can get away with it. And then what happens is the novelists figure out a way to tie it back together again and patch it all up. And it's generally been the way I've enjoyed Star Trek. Um, But I don't think... I don't think Discovery is any worse uh, as far as canon than outside of aesthetic. If you want to talk aesthetic, yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy how different it looks. Uh, that but, doesn't bother me. I, um, I was okay with that. Okay, okay, yeah, that's just, that's just Star Trek. Any show that survives this long is going to go through, you know, those kind of changes. And every time a new Star Trek show comes out, they're going to be the storytelling television of its time. Because, you know, even uh, TNG, they, they didn't bring, you know, they didn't bring back the same kind of sets. They, they oh, uh, adjusted to the oh, design well, aesthetic. It was of- also 75, you know, 75 to 80 years later, which explains well, the Well, that's why there was less complaint. Yeah. Yeah. That's why there was less complaint about that. But, I mean, the motion picture had a lot of complaints similar to what's going, uh, going on with Discovery as far as aesthetics because nobody liked the new Klingons then that's either. True. Uh, and and they they kind of hid a lot of the uh, disdain behind. It's a refit, so it's a different ship. So, but I mean, there was still s- sort of that same kind of thing. But if we're talking about canon, strictly canon, I don't feel it's fair to say they're doing anything wrong in canon yet. Um, and only because. This story and I don't want to give my theories yet. We're only halfway through the story. Exactly. It's we well we got a decade. <laughs> you know we got well, a decade. Yeah. So when 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 things when things like why haven't we talked about this? Why why have we never heard of the spore drive before? We may find out. We saw some black badges. I suspect it's a section thirty one thing. Sure. I've heard that. But, I've heard uh, that theory as well. And also, yeah. there's nothing wrong with saying we created something. It doesn't work. It harms the environment. It harms the people to make it work. So we're abandoning it because it doesn't work the way we want it to. I I get right. that in theory. I do think that um, I I mean I do have issues with the sport drive just because it's like it, it just seems too convenient. But I want let me let me start with because you it, mentioned it, the, yeah it's it presents it presents the Superman problem. Yes, like when Superman got too powerful, what can't he do right. now? Yeah, right. it, it does. I I agree with that. Um, I think I think we're going to find out. I think with the finale for the, the mid-season break, we're going to find out why this thing is too dangerous to use sure, after this. Sure. So, okay. That's okay, and I and I and I, that's fine, and that's a small quibble. I'll start because you mentioned the motion pictures depiction of the Klingons. What bothers me, and I you know I had Rob Meyer Burnett on, who I love. I love that guy. I think he's hilarious. Uh, he he directed Free Enterprise, 
Uh, you know, for, mm-hmm. you know that movie. Yeah, oh, yeah. Boy. I think I actually met him in uh, Las Vegas. Great guy. True. I, honestly, he's one. Of, he's, yeah. he's really one of my favorite like geek experts out there and stuff. But this is something we didn't talk about, and I'm interested as someone that's really, you know, versed in in Star. Oh, wait, I know where I met him. Oh, go go. I, he, he actually, uh, I, w- I was doing a panel. I think right here in my town, Long Beach. Okay. Long Beach Comic Con, he, he mediated. Oh, that's awesome. Super nice guy. Hilarious. Yeah. And, I, and truly, I mean, yeah. and, and, you know, I know some people really get angry at Rob's opinions of Star Trek. But what I love is he's like a grand chess master. I mean, he knows everything backwards and <laughs> forwards. And, you know, we'll tell you, well, this is from The Enemy Within, and it's the fourth scene, and Shatner scratches his nose this way. So that's why I love Rob. But this is something we didn't get into as far as detail. Um, I don't mind the, well, I didn't, I was ready to accept the aesthetic changes of the Klingons. There are a couple problems with that. And in fact, Kevin Smith pointed them out on his podcast, which surprised me. Um, they really were kind of dumb with the costumes and the makeup because when it comes to fighting, these guys really can't move their arms very well and, and move around very well. And you go back to these great kind of, weapons fighting scenes with batleths and things that we've gotten for you know certainly in the next generation and beyond um you know these guys really were not outfitted to fight and that's kind of weird but more importantly i really hate the cannibal aspect of the klingons it is really really gross and i do understand because i'll put this out there first because this is a fair counter argument that Kalis and all the warriors talk about eating their opponents' hearts and things like that. But I believe that that really was more in the past, centuries ago, and that kind of thing. And certainly Kalis is, you know, Klingon Jesus, and we're talking about at least a thousand years in the past or things, and even a couple hundred years in the past. I'll even give them that. I don't believe, and again, that only ten years before Kirk is fighting the Klingons, that they're still eating humans. And I really think that makes them less interesting. And, and, and also, I don't understand what their motivation is in this conflict okay. whatsoever, other than we need to stay pure. Let me, but go ahead. So that's okay. my, there's my yeah. point. Let me address first the, uh, the outfits. Sure. Um, Wonder Woman can't fight in high heels either, but it looks cool, so we do it. I mean, is she wearing <laughs> it's high, not yeah, a really... I don't think she's wearing high heels in the, in the movies right now. Okay, and again, comic books. Okay, but comic you books and, you win a lifetime dealing with her in high heels, and 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 you just accept. Well, but it. but I mean, that, but I would counter with that that argument that uh, we had fifty years of the Klingons capable of moving and fighting, and now we've got a bunch of Klingons that are in these weird suits. That again, it just looks chunky. So, you you know, your Wonder Woman example is what has happened for decades in the past. Which is okay, but you know, I'm saying this is something new. Well, that was that was a little tongue in cheek, right. but uh, <laughs> I didn't expect a counter argument to that. But <laughs> sometimes the obvious eludes me. Go on. <laughs> but um, you know, we've seen battle scenes that worked. I mean, but you, you know, the, the the in the pilot we saw a battle scene that was out in space. So of course that's going to be kind of oh, clunky sure. because those those were space suits. Sure. But we've seen actual battles. Um, on, on the bridge of the ship in one of the last episodes, yeah. and it didn't look that bad. I mean, they they look clunky, but they seem to be able to move in them. Um, now, now, if your argument is you don't like the way the 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 um, the Batleth looks on the House of Takuma, 
I'll agree with oh, that. It looks like flimsy equipment. <laughs> I like the old batlets yeah. better. But I mean, you got to remember the design is based on 24 different houses. So they have 24 different kinds of armor, kinds of weapon. And what's going to happen is it's going to unify and turn into, I mean, the uh, crest of the House of Takuvma is the actual symbol that defines the empire later on. So cool. if you saw, a cool move. you know, so I think I, I I think that might all straighten itself out. How about the, um, how about the cannibalism? Okay, yeah, that well, that happened in an extreme circumstance, though. That happened. They were trapped six months without any resources. They couldn't move their ship, and for some reason, because the houses are divided, all the other houses left and went on their on their way and did their own thing, and they were trying to survive. So. I think even humans under those circumstances might do some horrible things that aren't necessarily accepted by this by society. I don't know if Klingons are are like that or not, but I do know that these Klingons were and it might be an isolated incident. Well, that's a that is a fair argument and the only thing I would say is you've got much like legions of stormtrooper fans, you've got legions of Klingon fans that I'm sure are not happy with the idea that these... I mean, that's the thing, man. You've really, through the 50 years, have established, and granted, because that 50 years has shown a progression into the future of the Star Trek universe, where you really understand the Klingons' motivations. They are this romantic warrior race that has a nobility to it. Uh, The best villains are the ones that you understand uh, what their motivations are. And that that is a fair point in terms of if it's pure survival, what else are they supposed to do? Well, there's also when we when you're talking about the motivations of the Klingons, um, we we really didn't establish that until Commander Cruz in in uh, the third movie because the the Klingons. Well, I, I can argue actually that Core established it first, Agreed. but uh, but but generally, the Klingons in the original series were kind of a, a, a cheap kind of Cold War metaphor. Yeah, for the Russians, sure. Yeah, for the Russians, yeah. And, and, and we hadn't really established the idea of, of um, uh, the noble warrior. I don't know, man. Because I think No, wait, wait. I actually wrote an essay <laughs> about this, about Commander Corps, because I think there was one episode, and I think, what was it? Darren uh, Mercy? Yes. Where he actually exhibited signs of that. Sure. But only him. Like, Kang never oh, did, see, really. I disagree. I think, all, I think Kang did. I think they were always much more treacherous, much more Romulan-like Well, back then. they were treacherous, but again, in that day of the... I think it's Day of the Dove, right? Where the uh, alien yeah. kind of uh, being kind of influences their barbarism, both the human barbarism their, yeah. and the Klingon barbarism. Yeah. But that's the thing. I think Kang did show kind of a nobility. He certainly uh, showed it to protect his wife. And I agree, definitely more warlike than Kor. Uh, and, but Kor had his own treachery and stuff. Koloth was playing a game in Trouble with Rules, yeah. obviously. Um, they're right. the best examples. Private Little War, i got to be honest, I'd have but to I, go back and watch. When I say Kor, though, when I'm, when, when I'm talking about Kor, though, is Kor is actually would, would um, have a drink with Kirk, and, and, and yes. he would talk about battle as in it's nothing personal, which is... We're gonna we're gonna both get honor out of sure. this, you know. And it oh was, yeah. Oh, and it, and before that, all all you got from Klingons were they wanted to win at at any cost. I didn't really. I don't think I I did. Even in um, was it Day of the Dove? I didn't even get that from Kang. 
I got Kang doing what he needed to do, but I never got the the sense that um, that he would follow a rule to his own detriment because honor demanded it. Well, but we were told again, and granted uh, exposition, but we were kind of told of their traditions in warrior class that goes beyond what was happening in at the, in the screen at that moment by Worf, by the other Klingons, certainly Martok. Uh, even I love when Kork comes back in uh, next or Deep Space Nine and says, Martok, he's, you know, he's mud people. He's not of the blood like you and I. He's not of the... Wasn't that weird? It was fantastic. Oh, oh it was fantastic. Let's it talk showed, about that. It that... showed a class system within within the Klingon showed, Empire, yep. which, well, which obviously is exploited thing, in Discovery in a, in, a, in a very good way. Cole is from the House of Kor. Right. You know, so yeah, and 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 that made sense based on what we knew of Discovery, which we didn't know before. But that was all sort of, I guess, it's not really retconned, but kind of. Yeah, but you know that uh, was okay. I don't, I don't mind that Cole is part of Core's house, and also, by the way, you could be part of somebody's house and not agree with everything that the leader of the house is saying and stuff. But that's the thing. I like when sure. I like when, uh, yeah, like I said in, in Deep Space Nine, when Core is kind of shitting on Martok and being like, yeah, fuck him. It's like, you know, who cares? Didn't that just like, didn't that just cut you in two? Because I love Core, and I was just like, wait, he's he's an aristocrat? Yeah, he's an aristocratic (laughs) asshole. He's a country club Klingon. Absolutely, man. Yeah, he's like everything I hate in real life. And I was like, but I just found that out about him on that one episode. And And I was just like, felt felt so betrayed. But but that makes them more three-dimensional. And and again, that's what I think is kind of lacking. You know, I don't know where this, is the Klingon story over? Uh, nine episodes in, are we done with no, it? Good. No. Okay, that's good to know. No, I well, obviously, we and actually, know about Tyler actually, and, and what's her fit? What's her name on uh, Discovery now? The survivor that's on Lorel? Discovery. What's her name? Lorel. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Now Lorel is part of a house that's despised because they're more like Romulans. She's from a from a, a house of um, a long time spies, okay. and uh, they they mention that sort of. You know, really briefly yes. on the show, yes. um, but they I I have information that tells me a little bit more about that, and I think IDW is going to talk about that more. I don't know if there's a um, sort of Kales is the new book they put out, the new Discovery yep. book, yep. and it goes into to Kuvma's past, and it'll probably answer a lot of questions and change your view, whether it makes it better or worse. I don't know, but it might change the way you look at these Klingons because it will fill in. Some of those, some of those gaps well, that you're looking for, you know, and I and I've heard that as well. I had Sarah on, Sarah Gatos, uh, the great IDW editor that I know you work for as well, and I, I love what IDW is doing with the comics. But, and I understand what you're saying too that in the past, uh, novels and comics have kind of looked at the continuity problems and everything, tried to fix them and stuff. But and and you know there are little things like uh, in Wrath of Khan. Khan recognizing Chekhov, and technically Chekhov, you never see him, it, you know, until after the Khan episode. And I like Nick Meyer's explanation. Hey, Chekhov was on the ship already. He was just in a lower level. Yeah, he ran into him. But yeah, um, well, you got to use your imagination right. sometimes. And those kind of little things I can I can accept. Um, 
and and I have no problem with. But yeah, I don't know. I just think the bigger continuity things, and for someone to and and I, believe me, I'm not picking on you, but for someone to say, "Well, read the comic book because that'll explain that better." It's like, well, you know, something. I kind of think the TV okay. show that's their responsibility, or the movie that's. Their I'm not saying I'm not saying that's the yeah, but I'm not saying that's the only way. Okay, I knew that would be misunderstood <laughs> the second I said that, but I'm saying if. Whenever you want more from Star Trek, you'll get it from the oh, novels sure. and the comics, but oh, yeah. you shouldn't have to go there. Right. You shouldn't have to go there. I get that. So, well, and technically, what too, I'm saying, you know, the nerd, the nerd uh, the rules are uh, the books and the comics and stuff, unless declared by the intellectual property owners as saying, no, this is canon. They're not canon. Right. They, they usually aren't yeah. canon. Well, I mean, they're, they're not canon no, no matter what. Because well, the I movie mean, will change much. things in a heartbeat. Uh, Absolutely. Exactly, and if they want to change things, I mean, well, just look at just look at what Deep Space Nine did to the the Mirror Universe novels of TNG. Totally made them kind of. Oh, that's interesting. I'm gonna have to go uh, back and reread uh, Dark Mirror and things like that. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, yeah, because they were an empire. They were a strong empire, and then you go to DS Nine, and they're going like, oh yeah, the Terrans were wiped out. You know, and and then so good point. You know. We come in with the comic, and then like we're doing a, a kind of sort of new canon when we did Mirror Broken, sure. where we're, sure. we're we're saying that you know you didn't kill us all. We're still in our solar system, but but I mean like stuff like that happens all the time, and that's why I think they had to say, well, the books are canon. That way they can do weird stuff like this and not have to be, um, you know, because if it was if the books were canon, then DS Nine could never have done that episode. Fair enough, man. No, and I, I agree with that. Well, all right, another another problem with Discovery, and I'm sorry, I can't, and I'll be interested to hear what your thoughts are on this. I've yet to... Well, so far, there are no problems, because I came up with good arguments to every one of your problems. <laughs> hey, man, and absolutely, listen, and, and really, I don't mean to, like, you know, shit on your parade if you're enjoying... And for anyone who's enjoying Discovery, no, just, just, awesome. That's great, man. That's excellent. No, no, it's, it's, okay, all right, in all seriousness... We're we're actually having a discussion about the show. I wish that it was more like this online instead of people like just going like because if if you love the show, these people get kind of crazy about it, and everybody has to love the show. Yes. And if you hate the show, these people get crazy yes. about it. Everybody has to hate the show. And like you know, this is what it should sound like <laughs> online. <laughs> you know, it should sound more like what we're sure, doing man. here. But you know. But it gets crazy. Well, People get like personal, yes. and you know, because if I disagree, Star Trek fandom is divided. It doesn't have to be. Because if I disagree yeah. with you, then in some way I am hurting you because I don't share your opinion, which I don't understand uh, either. And see, I'm fine. I, well, yeah, I'm you fine are. with your opinion about things, but when people say. Nobody watch the show or try to boycott oh, yeah. it, or people go like, people who don't like the show or don't like Trek. That's a bullshit thing to is. say. Yeah, but of course it, it is. It's all. Yeah, hey man, and, just, and by the way, I'm still going to be in for the back six. Of course I am, and I want I I I love Star Trek. I'm glad it's back. I want it to be. There's nothing Trek you won't watch. Yes, <laughs> I do. We've and I'm sure I've track. said this to you before. I always say if yeah. there was a TV show called Star Trek Klingon Latrine Cleaning, I would be watching <laughs> that show. I blew off the West Wing <laughs> to watch Voyager, or yeah, I think it was Voyager or Enterprise, whatever was opposite. West Wing, and everyone's like, "My God, West Wing is one of the greatest TV shows ever." And I'm like, "Yeah, but it's on against Star Trek." Sorry, I'm, I'm going to be a little busy Wednesday night. <laughs> it's just that was the truth. It just was. So, uh, but anyway, I'm already writing plots for the the, the cleaning, 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 cleaning. I think we got a new pitch for Sarah. We got a great miniseries. This is going to be great. 
We give Worf a toilet brush, and we send him in. It's really <laughs> gross. And <laughs> this is not honorable. Uh, I do not like shoveling shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, I've yet to be, see a reason why, and maybe it will happen in the back six. But I have no problem with Michael Burnman being a human that was raised on Vulcan. Uh, other than, oh, isn't this cute? She's the sister Spock never spoke about. I've yet to see a reason why she needs to have been a ward of Sarex. I think it uh, shrinks Vulcan. I've said this before, and I said it to your co-host, Daryl Taylor, on uh, Go Track Yourself, that it makes it sound like Martin Luther King was the only civil rights leader. Um, I appreciate that uh, having seeing the promise of humans might be a minority opinion on Vulcan. I don't think Sarek was the only one. And I think to make him appear that he is the only one, it's a little too cute. And I also think, again, her being Spock's sister makes it a little too cute. You could have had Spock encounters with Michael Burnham without them being suddenly brother and sister. Well, I'm going to resist telling you to read... uh, Oh, yeah, David Mack's book? David Mack's book. No, I got it. Have you read it? I'll get to it before the back six come back, but go ahead. It's... uh, it's, it's, you're going to love it. You're cool. going to love it because it really it tidies things up like books always sure. do. But, but again, you shouldn't have to read that. But there was an implication that her family um, were on Vulcan right. or on a Vulcan colony yep. and knew these people, yeah. and that's why it happened. But they didn't really uh, – I, I will admit this. They didn't really go into that enough, take it clear to the viewer – why Sarek would feel like he had to sure. take her on. Oh, I think, well, I kind of think they did in that scene where he mind melds with her. I, well, you know, he, he, he pulled her from death with a mind meld, obviously, but, but there was also, um, you know, her family died and it wasn't like Sarek was a stranger. Right, right. To her or her family, you know. So he was the one there that saw it and they were friends of the family. That's kind of how it happened. Now, the, as far as Spock not mentioning his sister, he, <laughs> it's Spock. Well, and he never mentioned Cybok mention, until he, Star Trek Five. He never mentioned – well, he didn't mention Cybok because he was a psychopath. Well, but, yeah. but, I lo- but, you know, that was at least – But he never mentioned his dad in TOS. Too. Yeah, Captain but that Kirk was – never well, his dad was the ambassador. Well, but, but of course, that, that plays itself out, and we're given a full hour of that explanation of why – where their relationship is – and why, as far as Sarek and Spock go and stuff. And by the way, that's a fair point about uh, Sarek knowing Michael's parents and stuff. We never knew how the Roshenkos, beyond them, did they discover Worf? I mean, how did they take Worf in? I mean, you know. Yeah, that always felt like they, they were part of a, an adoption, like an adoption agency said, hey, you guys were looking for a Klingon kid? Yeah, I, well, yeah, who the hell knows? But I mean, and that's the thing. But again, luckily, through a couple episodes, we got to understand the Roshenko's relationship with Worf and it's great yeah. and it's fantastic and it's, and it's full. I mean, that's the thing, man. It's, it almost seems like they, they put this in and have no time to, to explain it. And also it really has very little to do with the bigger story unless again, there's something that's going to happen in the back six. Unless later it yeah. does. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and yeah. you know, again, we're at mid season and I get that, but we're also, we're, well, we're not just mid season, you know, God willing, there'll be more seasons. Um, and we're 10 years away from where we have to, like, tie everything up. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, but I also I don't buy that Sarek is oh these humans aren't they so cute? Ten years before he's Mark. Well, Lennar no, his his eyes. attitude is that they have potential that Vulcans are dismissing. Not necessarily like like he, he's not a like. I, I believe you wanted to use the word human lover, which is racist. But. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I mean, I don't um, think he. No, but I, I, I don't but think I he, would... he. They always implied that that he had a thing for humans because um, sure. it, it's been brought up in Next Generation. It's been brought up in the movies. Well, he's the ambassador of Earth, yeah. so he must he must be because he's the ambassador to Earth. He and it's married Amanda. And he, you know, I mean, obviously there's something there. Um, I, you know, I, I I will admit that it probably seems a little awkward. I'd like, I, it's hard to say because I read David Mack's book, and now it's like, oh yeah, everything's fine. Now it all makes so, sense. Um, okay. But I mean, okay. you know, well, that's good. That hey, man. from just the show point of view, then yeah, perhaps they have more to explain on that. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. Um, but it doesn't bother me. I, I like that she's. I like that it's a that's human cool. that um, was raised Vulcan, and in a sense, sometimes she gets even more emotional because you've got to think that wouldn't be healthy. <laughs> that wouldn't be healthy teaching you know, being taught. Um, I mean, I think we should all aspire to Vulcan beliefs personally. I think the less passion people have, the better off we'll be. But, but I, I, what would that do to a to a, a human uh, to be separated from her people and be kind of taught that and never co- quite live up to intellectually, anyways, what what the Vulcans are, and always feel like she she's not properly suppressing her feelings. I mean, isn't that like a recipe for a ticking time bomb? <laughs> Well, possibly, and again, I know that Michael is set up to be the reverse image of Spock, yeah. and I always like to point out that, and I had Jason Inman on, and uh, Ashley, uh, uh, damn it, Ashley, I can't remember your last name right now, I apologize, Ashley, but the creators of Jupiter Jet, and of course they are a big part of Collider's uh, Star Trek review shows, and they know their, uh, I believe Ashley yeah. Robinson, uh, they, they know their Star Trek backwards and forwards. The best thing about the Star Trek motion the picture film is that is the turning point for Spock. That is when Spock realizes exactly yeah. who he is. And that from that moment on, Spock is the most adjusted character in Star Trek where, okay, I, well, get, well, and, I get why my human side is important. For, I get why my Vulcan yeah, side Except is for a brief period where he dies and comes back and then he's a little confused. For- <laughs> well, you're right. Yes, that's true. Okay, fine. Right. Losing the Castro, that's true. But, uh, but that's the thing, and in, and truly in and and again, it's a bump. But then he's back to himself again. And in Wrath of Khan, he knows exactly yeah. who he is. He knows. He also knows exactly who Jim Kirk is. And when Jim Kirk doesn't know what the hell, how we, you know, am I am I able to really handle this still, or am I really too old? Spock is that reassuring hand on his shoulder, going, No, no, no. Yeah, I know. If you don't know who you are, I know who we are. We got this. Don't worry. About I think the that. movies, and that's what I love yeah. about. That's the subtext of Wrath of Khan. With Spock, it's like we're going to be fine. Everything's going to work out. We know what we're doing. Well, and, and also, uh, the, but the again, thing about that movie I liked is it showed sort of a unofficial mental rapport between uh, Spock and Kirk. Like they just they knew each absolutely. other that well that they, there was never any concern yep. when Kirk was buried beneath the earth, uh, you know beneath the planet. Or right, he knew exactly hours yep. or days, and yep. you know here's the here's the but, code it, but the impression the I got from that on the reliance. Yeah, the impression I got from that was even if he didn't figure out the code. He knew Spock had it covered. He, you know. Yeah. Yep. 
Well, that's it. Yeah. I mean, and again, it's just like even, you know, when, hey, something's going on, we got to take care of it. Of course, you're in the captain's chair. Oh, no, no, no. You got it. You got it. No, no, no. Jim, this is what you do. Don't, you know, it was, you, you screwed up being an admiral. You belong in the chair. Don't worry. And I got your back. Everything's going to be fine. And also, but again, as you were saying about Burnham kind of uh, being more emotional, Spock, uh, it, it's interesting because. I'm still, I don't understand, and maybe there's a flashback still to come either in this six, or we do know that there's going to be at least a second season of Discovery. Uh, uh, specifically, I'm assuming about this crew, depending on how things end, or members of Well, I have, I have a theory because, that we're, 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 um, we're either, we're definitely not going to have this Lorca. We may have a Lorca, or we may not have a Lorca, but it won't be this guy. Funny. Yeah, funny. But, I don't want to, you know. I, like, I don't want my theory yeah. to spoil anything for anybody else, but, <laughs> but. Uh. No, that's a fair, you know, that's a fair guess in terms of where things are going, and and you know, obviously, they've already said that the mirror universe is playing is going to play a role in this story. I think, right? That, and uh, Frakes accidentally kind of spilled. Yeah, and out. he's directing the next episode we see. So where do you oh, think really? they are right now? Okay. <laughs> right. Exactly. No, I, I think everyone kind of. Yeah figured out that they're probably in the mirror universe now i mean i think um, Lorca was a, I, was I a think, you know he, he's been here from there the whole time that'll be interesting if that's the it case. would explain a lot I, wouldn't I, it? by the way <laughs> yeah sure no and and that and that does make sense and i kind of like that um what i don't like is um there's just there's a couple cutesy easter eggs in there in Lorca's office let's stick with okay. Lorca for a second um I didn't even realize it was a live yeah. Tribble in Lorca's office sitting next to open food. And it's like, I'm sorry, man. That's just that's just being cute for cute's sake of having a Tribble in his office. And meanwhile, he's got his uh, dirty uh, fortune cookies uncovered and everything. And it's like, um, why aren't there 10,000 Tribbles in Lorca's office right now? Well, that doesn't make well, sense. It, it could, again. <laughs> Lorca has the mad lab of biological biological curiosities. So, so you think he already it's fixed, a fixed you think yeah, he neutered it's, a triple? It's, it's a, a neutered triple. It's a fixed triple. <laughs> he wanted the triple without all the and nonsense the that goes skeleton. along with him, you know? Well, again, that, I, and that's I, actually I just, a joke. Again, I don't know. I, I don't know what that triple is about, to be honest, but uh well, that's of course it's a joke, but and I, that's why we laughed. But but that's what I mean, man. It's just I just think that sometimes, and it was a big problem that I had with Star Trek Into Darkness as well, where it's like here's an Easter egg that you, it's only there because it's for people to go, oh yeah, triples, they're in Star well, okay, Trek. Okay, hold on, this, let's get back to the story. Hold on a minute, because <laughs> I, I would not compare Discovery to that movie because that movie was filled with a bunch of ah, oh, this will satisfy those nerds. You know, because the they were you know, the reversal role of Spock and Kirk in the the Wrath of Khan scene blatant oh, and shitty. Yeah, no, I, I don't feel like so Discovery's bad. and they didn't earn it being quite that uh, patronizing. Okay, and I'll even give you not to that level, but again, it is that kind of same familiar stuff, and it's one of the reasons why. And man, if I'm wrong, I will be happy to apologize to Alex Kurtzman should <laughs> I ever meet him. Well, well, also I, Brian Fuller, because really this is just, all this is this is based on what they did together. It has well, a I understand, and and yeah. I get that too. But well, but also Fuller only had ten episodes in mind. We're getting yeah. fifteen. Okay. Um, so 
it's got some of this stuff's got to be coming from. Yeah, he he wanted to break off somebody. into an anthology type thing. I think that'll still. Well, it, it sounds like it still yeah. will probably happen. Although maybe not. Maybe you know, I know uh, Nick Meyer, Nicholas Meyer, who directed uh, Star Trek's two, four, and six, or no, two yep. and six. I think Nimoy yep. directed four. Uh, but I know he obviously is working on some sort of con prequel or whatever. Um, which, on the one hand, interesting. I love the Greg Cox prequel novels that he wrote. I I would rather they go into the future. And again, there's got to be some sort of rights issue that is keeping them from moving the story forward. I don't understand why the story isn't moving forward. And also, a lot well, the, of the, the reason it's moving forward is would Paramount would have been solved. Paramount the has the movie rights and CBS has the TV rights. They- right, but this is a TV show, so why can't the TV show move forward? The movies are all in the Kelvin yeah. universe, so at least under yeah. under JJ. So why why can't uh, why can't this story move forward? Um, where I mean, even if you want to say what happens to Spock Prime, Nimoy Spock, in the 2009 J.J. movie and say that didn't happen yet, fine, let's leave things off where, where they were in Star Trek mm-hmm. Nemesis, uh, where you know Romulus, Romulus is uh, in the midst of a civil war. There might be a power shift there. Um, uh, Riker's on the Titan. You know, Picard's still got the Enterprise F at this point. I don't even know what letter <laughs> at this point. Maybe it's still the E. Uh, yeah. But no, you know, I mean, that's the well, thing. Riker and also, the opportunity, let me finish, yeah. the opportunity to have all of these actors that are still young enough to be very capable in seeing, let's see Ambassador Worf, let's see Captain LaForge, uh, Captain Data, or B4, or whatever the hell B4 is going to evolve into, uh, which I'm sure will eventually be Data. But, uh, you know, yeah, let's, uh, Tuvok, all these other, you know, Deep Space Nine, all these great shows that were in the feature of deep, of Next Generation, and it's like, you got, like, two dozen characters that we all love. Yeah. What are they well, doing Well, I'm, I'm, I'd be all for that, because, yeah, I mean... Of course you yeah. would. <laughs> Every I mean, fan would. I mean, Every some fan. of the best stories are, are, are on the, the online game. <laughs> yeah. There you go, man. So what were you going to say? Go ahead. I, I, I just wanted to finish my... Well, I don't, I don't remember now. Because you know. <laughs> <laughs> you're such a bulldozer, John. I, I have no idea what I was going to say. No, I, you know, I mean, that's, uh, well, back to, yeah, movie difference. Well, I was going to say, Kurtzman, it's, and I agree with you, Star Trek Into Darkness was the more egregious example of that. But I do think, and, and it's not just with Star Trek, a lot of remake movies and television shows, they go for the cutesy, oh, remember that? Well, here's a little Easter egg to remind you of that. It has nothing to do with the plot. I, the Get Smart Steve Carell movie, when uh, at the end he's in the chase scene, and he starts off in the red uh, convertible, and then he goes to the blue convertible, and he ends up in the gold Corvette at the end. Oh, yeah. And they're all the cars that were from the opening sequence of the you know the title sequence for Get Smart over the years. Right. And it, yeah, it has nothing to do with the story, but it's like, ha I get it, you know. And that's and again, that's why you got the live tribble in Lorca's office and the Gorn, the Gorn skeleton. Well, yeah, but I, I think, but like you said, maybe maybe this Lorca is not from our universe, right? And maybe that stuff is from a different universe. What I'm what I'm saying is, I think there. There's, yeah, there's more to it on this show. I don't think it's just it's just uh, you know fan service. Uh, I hear. You. I, I think I think there's a lot more coming. You know, it's it's hard because this is a different kind of storytelling than we're used to with Star Trek because it's not episodal. Even Deep Space Nine or, or um, Enterprise that had those 
like long story arcs mm-hmm. weren't this kind of storytelling where it's still all one story. You know what Agreed. I mean? This this is yes. kind of the modern binge watching kind of storytelling yeah. that we're doing now. So we don't know. It doesn't get wrapped up. In fact, we didn't learn about all these characters all at once like we did in like the pilot of Deep Space Nine. We're we're meeting two or three characters every episode and kind of moving along at that pace. So it's a whole different thing. So I have to keep reminding myself, like, wait, I don't get what, you know, maybe we'll find out. And, it, and if it turns out that they don't kind of wrap up some of these things and explain it in a way that's satisfactory to me, then I'll totally agree with you. But I'm I'm kind of waiting to see where it goes, because every sure. time I, I think I, I have a problem with it, they surprise me. You know, so. Yeah, no, I get it, man. And, and that's that's all fair. And again. You're right, and and I'm the first one to say that about uh, a lot of comic book uh, arcs that are six issues or even twelve issues, and people are yelling at the second issue because, well, wait a minute, you know, Iron Man would never do that. Yeah. So, well, let's story play out. Then then we'll see if those motivations are explained. So yeah, no, six issues fair. later, it's and, not and, Iron Man. You know what's happening? <laughs> I said like six issues later, it's not. It turns out it wasn't Iron Man. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yep. Yep. No, you're 100 percent right, man. So no, and again. That's the thing. As negative as I've been, I don't want anyone to misunderstand that, A, I love Star Trek, and I want more of it, and I'm glad that it got renewed, and I hope that they fix these things. But um, I won't deny that I was a little disappointed to see that Bad Robot was involved with this TV thing, at the very least with Kurtzman. I don't even know. You know, I they, they zip through the credits so fast. I don't know if Bad Robot is one of the producers <laughs> of the TV show or not. Um well, and again, because that's the thing, man, because even beyond... Oh, and that, and by the way, as we wrap up, we should uh, acknowledge the other rumor that obviously has come out regarding Tarantino and everything. Um, oh, yes. I'm very... You know, and I'll tell you something, if I may, just to start with Tarantino, let's get to the Tarantino stuff. Um, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm so for this, because it's, I don't mind when Tarantino messes with shit, because Tarantino has a track record of coming into a genre... And, you know, tipping it over and giving us a different look at it from his point of view. Oliver Stone, in a different way, does a similar thing. Where it's like, no, I'm going to an Oliver Stone movie. I'm not expecting a history. I'm expecting Oliver Stone's very skewed view of a history. And I think that makes for interesting storytelling. And I would say the same thing for Tarantino. And I hope Paramount truly allows Tarantino to be Tarantino and I think it's a great trial balloon. I, I believe it's getting the positive uh, reaction that I think they were hoping for in this uh, with this idea. And f- furthermore, when you hear Patrick Stewart go, hey, I'm in if they want me, I think yep. everybody is like, fuck yeah. Well, <laughs> let's see. Let's see the return of Jean-Luc Picard. But go ahead. So what do you think of the rumors? Well, let me tell you my theory on this. Go for it. Um, I... When when I first heard about this, I was like, what's he going to do with this? And I'm thinking about what he did with um, – I think he did um, an ER episode. You know, he's worked in – he's worked with properties in Canada before. Yes. And at first I, I didn't – you know, I, my first reaction was like, he can't handle this. And then I realized, oh, he's done this before. Then I uh, listened to a radio interview where he's clearly a Trek fan. And he was talking about uh, the two episodes he talked about the most – in this radio interview was City on the Edge of Forever, which I've had a little experience with, and um, yes, you <laughs> and uh, uh, Yesterday's Enterprise. So he likes yep. time travel stories that that obscure the timeline that end up getting fixed at the end. 
so I'm thinking, what if what if he does a a, a Kelvin story timeline where there's like maybe some kind of time displacement, and that's where we get our Picard from. Yeah. Um, but it also goes back and fixes the Kelvin timeline, so it never happened. Wow! Right? <laughs> That'd be awesome. Although I don't, I don't necessarily want to see it go away. You know, I don't either. I don't either. But I'm, I'm, it, just, it, it sounded like that's he. He wants to tidy things up because he. he it's hard to tell with him because he talks so much and he goes off on tangents and then. Yes, and then you you know you never get back to what he was starting to say, so you have to kind of try to figure out what he might have meant. But it, it sounded I, like he didn't <laughs> like the Kelvin timeline or didn't understand it, you know. And then he started talking about this stuff, and I'm going like, wait a minute, I think he wants to just just start over. <laughs> well, but that makes sense too because what if it is Picard post Spock Prime uh, accidentally blowing up Romulus in uh, in the future of the regular Picard you know, follows prime, him back. Prime universe. Yeah, Picard follows him back. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. I'm looking for Ambassador Spock, as he says in, uh, in the two-parter <laughs> unification. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it would work because the the actor's old enough to be in that timeline that Spock was in when he did that. Absolutely. Which started the whole thing. Oh, that'd be great. No, you're 100 percent right, and I think that is really, really interesting. And uh, and also, by the way, as they kind of telegraphed if they were going to make a fourth movie that um, Thor would be back and I'm blanking right now on his name I can't believe I'm blanking on <laughs> Thor's name uh, as George oh Kirk. Hemsworth Chris Hemsworth yeah yeah, yeah. thank as, you Chris as Hemsworth as exactly. dad yeah yeah so that would even be better to not only have Picard there but also George Kirk yeah would be amazing to have the three you know George James and, and Picard all together possibly working on a solution and everything so, yeah, that would I think that would be incredible. Well, I'm excited uh, about and, and it. And a really great story. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Regardless of what they decide to do, I'm excited about it. If if he's looking at Star Trek as we could tell really good time travel stories, because those are my favorite every time. So if, agree. If that's what he wants to do with this. I think that's going to be a very interesting movie uh, regardless. And, and then, you know, canon isn't uh, quite as big of a deal. So if he wants to do his own thing. As long as we're outside the timeline, he can do it. Of course, you know. So, yeah, no yeah. rules. Absolutely, yep. man. No, I think I again. I think that's a really entertaining idea, and uh, he is such an interesting filmmaker. You know, did you ever? I'm sure I've talked about this before on Word Balloon, but he explains the uh, Godzilla universe and the the Toho uh, movies in a really interesting way that I'd never heard before. And it makes them so much more interesting now when I watch them in that he's like, that's an alternate universe where Japan won world war two and they are the major superpower. Wow. Exactly. <laughs> and all of a sudden now those movies make even more sense and are that much more interesting. And he's just like, that's how I always looked at it. it is what if Japan hadn't gotten blown up was the, you know, a, an equal superpower, and you know, moving forward, they are you know, they're doing their thing because they've got the technology and ability to fight these monsters on their own because they weren't overrun by the nuclear bomb and everything. And I'm like, that is really interesting. And again, I'm I don't know if that was in the Toho Man movie makers' minds or not. I'm sure it was just a point of oh, uh, making who know, cares we're in Japan, so of course it's about Japan. But yeah, it's 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 a great way to look at it, yeah. and that's I love that about Tarantino. He has that kind of 
point of view yeah. that I think makes a makes a regular story even more interesting in his hands. So yeah, and the the, pretty neat. the other thing that uh, some people are upset about is um, he wants to make it a rated R movie. Um, but I mean, I'm less concerned about that because it it could be rated R for violence, and which I'm I'm fine with, especially if, sure. if Klingons or Romulans are involved. And sure, show it. Just show it. Show how brutal they are. If it if it if it feeds the story, if it's important to the story, because um, for instance, could if, not agree more. Yeah, if we're if we're if we're watching, um, you know, Worf's past, then you're going to want to see that violence. So you understand what Worf went. Through. Yeah, you know what I mean. You want to totally. You want to see what the Romulans did. You know. You know, as it's funny, and now Logan is on uh, HBO, and a few more of my friends who are. You know, tangentially into geek stuff, but don't you know aren't into it the way we are and everything. And they're like, oh, you know, I was kind of disappointed. Logan was a rated R movie, and it's like, why? Yeah. Well, it was really violent, and it's like the guy has claws that are blades. Yeah. His only he weapon. eviscerates people. Yeah. Right. All he can do, do is you kill expect? you with those things. <laughs> right. What? What? Yeah. What exactly do you expect? And seriously, well, I just didn't think it was necessary. And I'm like, well, that's your opinion. It's a minority opinion. Yeah, it's it's because... definitely necessary. I remember reading even like the great Claremont Byrne era of X Men. I'm going like he always draws his claws. Where where's the blood? Yep. <laughs> you know. Yep. I mean, yeah. He's not tagging you with these things. He's impaling you. Totally, man. No, and that's why I loved uh, Enemy of the State. Um, Mark Miller and uh, and John Romita yeah. Jr. Oh, yes. Wolverine story from ten yeah. years ago. No, it's great yeah. stuff, and that's exactly you're right, man. No, it needs to be Berserker. Of course Wolverine kills. Of course Wolverine slices and dices. I mean, that's what he does. And like I said, it's just like, who are you? I mean, and again, they're friends of mine. And I'm like, when exactly did you wuss out that (laughs) that's not cool? Because I'm sure you like an R-rated Western where Clint Eastwood's blasting people away or a Sam Peckinpah film. Well, I I think... Whatever. I think with with comic book characters and and with Star Trek, um, the argument that I'll, I'll... except kind of is they um they want it for their kids but i mean you know right right i mean you know maybe we have stories for the kids and stories for us you know because i i want to see i want to see the ugliness i want it to be visceral i want it to be real i I want to be shocked and and freaked out by what the romulans did or what the clowns are doing i want to see because you always get this idea like we look at the romantic klingon we look at the noble warrior but like you know, when I saw Worf, you know, just shove that uh, that uh, what was it? What episode was that in TNG where, where they, they didn't show it, but they just showed they, they made the chunk sound and he, he killed uh, when he kills uh, Doros. Doros. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, oh, oh my god, it's real. This isn't a joke. I mean, you know, these oh, yeah. these romantic Klingons suddenly it's scary a little bit. I mean, and, and it, or Galron. Yeah. Yeah, Holy when shit, he killed Galron. DS Nine, yeah. they killed Galron, and I mean, you really come from hating Galron to liking Galron a lot to hating him again. Yep. But didn't that make so. didn't that make the, the the Klingon characters a little more three dimensional? Absolutely. You know, instead of it's, no, they're killers. They are they are willing to cross that line. Absolutely. Or when you have a war story, you know, you you get it wrapped up in the romantic aspect of the Klingons and warriors, warriors. But then you see a real war story, like in, in Deep Space Nine, when they when uh, what was the name of that episode where they were trapped behind enemy lines fighting the Dominion for so long, and they showed the real horrors of war. Yes. Suddenly, you have a different opinion about it. And every time you look at another episode where you see the glory of war, you think about the terrors of war. And I think that's what an R rating can do for a movie if they do it right. Agreed. Well, and, uh, and again, not to pick on Discovery, but Tilly saying fuck, completely. Oh, I love that. 
completely <laughs> well, my, in my world. I'm, I'm just like, I love okay, the, okay. And what we ju- what we just saw was a bar bet being created where okay. it's or a bar yeah. trivia question. When is the first time that the word fuck happens in Star Trek? Okay, let me let me can I can I explain why I think that of course why why I don't think it was excessive and why I think it worked. Tilly has always been socially awkward, and sure, and it was just I I think it was great the way that slipped out and she she got insecure and then because it told you something about the way the characters were reacting to her. (laughs) I hear you, man, but yeah, again, I I mean, yeah, they could have found another way to do it. It's all right. Well, what's that? I, I mean, maybe they could have found another way to do it, but I just loved, I loved that scene. I just, I loved it because here's Tilly. She got excited. She said something she shouldn't have. She got insecure for a moment, and then she got the assurance from her friends that it was okay. I hear you, man. And and, and again, it's like okay, that's fine. Well, we'll see, man. We got we got six episodes. I want you to come back when okay. uh, when when it's all wrapped up. And uh, and we'll see if your co-host, uh, you know, can manage to find some time to join us as well, because he's uh, he's very happy to uh, disagree with me in social media. You just wanted to argue with him. You didn't even want me on the show. You wanted to argue. No, I, no, I totally <laughs> wanted you. You know, I wanted you on the show. My God, this would have been ten minutes if uh, if I didn't want you. You know that. <laughs> no, absolutely, man. No, but also. It's true, and and also I love because some people are like, well, obviously you don't like you know getting back to justice, like you obviously don't like DC, and it's like, well, <laughs> you really don't know me if you think that. Uh, I'm like, no, I love DC. I was a DC kid long before I was a Marvel kid. Uh, I mean, literally, the first things I read were 80 page giant Superman issues when I was like four years old, and going to the barber shop and seeing uh, Dead Man comics and Flash comics when I was getting my first haircuts and stuff like that. So, no, I, I adore DC. Um, I want good DC movies. I want good Star Trek. And I'm happy to have this kind of, of fun, disagreeing uh, discussion. But, yeah, when when uh, when people online are just like, well, you obviously don't like this. It's like, well, then come on the podcast and we'll talk about yeah, it. See, it. And somebody didn't show up then. That's <laughs> well, I mean, this is, this is what we're talking <laughs> about. Like, it, it's just too extreme online. You know, it's just yes. too... Um, you know, you don't like it, then you're wrong, or you like it, and then you're wrong. It's just, you know what, you know, you gave it a C minus, I gave it an A minus, and then yeah. we just we talked about why, and that's how it should be done. You know, Absolutely. there's no well, agendas here. There's no yeah. Let's have a let's have a fun conversation, and hopefully, I think that's what we accomplished today, and truly. I absolutely accept your explanations, and it's like, and that's why I was laughing, and just like I was laughing when Rob was on, and you know, frustrated as hell by what he's seeing on Discovery. And it's, it's to me, it's entertaining. I love hearing <laughs> a, a reasoned explanation why it works or why it doesn't work. And and I do. I, I think it's entertaining as hell. So I thank you, J.K. Woodward, for uh, coming on and uh, giving those opinions. And uh, congratulations with uh, Mere Broken. I thought it was a, a great miniseries once again. And uh, truly, I can't say it enough. IDW Star Trek Comics are absolutely entertaining. If you're a Star Trek fan and not reading them, you don't know what you're missing because Mike Johnson is killing it as well in the Kelvin universe. Oh yeah, with those stories, I haven't picked up. Uh, it has the the new mini the Klingon mini series has begun, right? Sort of Kalos. The Sort of Kalos. Yep, it just came okay, out. Okay, I'm yep. gonna have to, well, I'm gonna have to catch up and uh, and grab that. But and also David Mack's book and the subsequent book that's gonna f- feature Giorgio and uh, Lorca. I'm looking forward to that book. Yeah, that's well, from uh, Dayton Ward, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Did you have? On, uh, by the way, go track yourself. Is J.K. and Daryl Taylor's uh, Star Trek podcast? 
Um, did you have David on or did you have Dayton on or both? We, uh, we had David and then we had uh, Dayton on afterwards. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. And then we had cool. uh, Sarah. We had Sarah on also. And then uh, Tony Shastin. And hopefully uh, next episode we'll have uh, Mike and uh, Kristen, who's a, who's a novelist and a, a staff writer. Kristen Meyer. Yes, Kristen Wells. Yep. Who's, right, Kristen Wells? Yes, correct? yes. Yeah, yeah who, who is one of the Discovery writers and also, man, so many great Voyager novels in particular. Yep. And she also, uh, co-wrote, no, uh, she also co-wrote with Mike the uh, Sword of Kalos. Oh, that's awesome. Of course. Okay, very good. No, man, and I'm glad you mentioned Tony as well, because I think Tony's doing a great job on the books. Gordon Purcell has always been one of the best Star Trek artists. I'm glad Back in the DC the days, well. he started from. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, uh, no, that's the thing, man. IDW has really talented people doing, and we mentioned John Byrne and uh, uh, New Visions and stuff. Really great Star Trek product coming out of IDW, and uh, one of the guys behind it, our guest today, J.K. Woodward. And uh, uh, Go Trek Yourself is his podcast, yeah. and uh, really, man, thanks for uh, coming thanks, on. Thanks, man. And uh, have me back in a few months. I'll have something exciting to announce that I can't talk about yet. Bum, bum. <laughs> Very exciting. Absolutely. Well, and again, regardless, so uh, we'll talk after the back six air, and uh, we'll, see, uh, we'll see what uh, the, final, uh, the final assessment is on Star Trek Discovery. But thanks. And then we'll argue about that. There we go, J.K. Woodward talking me off the ledge, like I said, about Star Trek Discovery. Uh, It starts up again on Sunday, CBS All Access. If this is after Sunday, go back there and watch it. Uh, Like I said, man, I'm hoping for the best. I'm in for the long haul and uh, beyond, and I uh, just want good Star Trek. And we'll see if uh, the last six episodes explain some things that uh, have some of us frustrated as old-time uh, Trek fans. But I hope you enjoyed today's discussion on Word Balloon. All brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. There are some great books available at InStock Trades. Among them, The Fall and Rise of Captain Adam. This was awesome. Uh, it's uh, Greg Wiseman, Carrie Bates, and Will Conrad, a beautiful volume. I thought this was a terrific miniseries. 42% off, just $9.85. Man, Carrie Bates, truly one of my favorite Silver Age writers. I still haven't had him on Word Balloon. i got to make that love connection happen between Denny O'Neill and Elliot S. Magan and some of the others that I've had the chance to talk to over the years. they got to help me track Carrie down. There's also Aquaman, the Water Bearer. This is a former run that was done by uh, Rick Veach and uh, Yavel Gouchette. Eric Wichette, I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, even uh, Tempest, formerly Aqualad, the original Aqualad are in this. It collects Aqualad, Aquaman 1 through 6 and Aquaman's Secret Files. It's 42% off, $11.59. How about Spider-Gwen, the hardcover, Volume 2? Jason Latour, Tom Taylor, really great stuff. Of course, Robbie Rodriguez. I don't know why Tom Taylor is listed there as uh, part of the uh, writing team. But that doesn't make sense. It's no, it's uh, Jason and Robbie, of course, and uh, it was Enrico Renzi as well. By the way, uh, this uh, is a great uh, collection. This collects Spider Gwen uh, seven through fifteen, also the first annual and the all new Wolverine annual number one, two hundred and seventy two pages, fifty percent off, seventeen dollars and forty nine cents. There's also Superboy, book one, Trouble in Paradise. This is Carl Kiesel and Tom Grummet. Uh, doing their original run of uh, Connell's uh, first stories, and uh, after the uh, point of the death of Superman, when uh, when the run first began, it collects ish- the first twelve issues, zero uh, zero issue through twelve, and it's fifty uh, percent off, twelve dollars and forty nine cents at InStockTrades.com. 
Great books, great prices at InStockTrades.com. Check it out for yourself. Thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. Thank you again, League of Word Balloon listeners, through your support via Patreon. And, uh, you know, all I can say is 2018 is going to be a heck of a year for Word Balloon. I've already got some uh, great stuff in the can. Can't wait to uh, have some more conversations, long overdue conversations, uh, including, uh, of course, the new Bendis tapes, which is going to be happening pretty soon. Uh, I keep texting Brian, and every day he's, he's getting better and stronger. So, you know, a well-deserved rest. He's getting back to uh, wrapping up his Marvel books and starting up his DC books. So can't wait. I know we're going to have a lot to talk about in the days and weeks ahead. So thanks for listening to Word Balloon today. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2018.